Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Timothy Plain. And I'm R. Purcell. Each week we discuss different filmmaking topics and give you our point of view on them, not as experts, but as two filmmakers trying to figure it out for ourselves. And this week we're joined by Caitlin Young. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, guys. How you doing? Good. So Caitlin is a visual effects artist and supervisor, and she saved the spirit machine, everyone. Mm. So this is like a year and a half ago, I think, where um, backstory is I had a bunch of shots in India. I think I had like around 50 shots with a guy in India and he disappeared for a little bit and I didn't know what happened. And he came back online and I found out that the city he lived in was flooded and 300 people died and along with with the flood a lot of the shots got lost and i tried to work with him for probably like six months to to get those shots recovered and he just couldn't do it he just couldn't figure out a way to get them to me or he would just didn't want to deal with me i don't know so all i had was like half res renders of some of the shots and then there's a bunch of unfinished ones um and i didn't know what to do and i was really frustrated i almost gave up and then i was sitting down uh over a few martinis with my friend ariel zakowski who's also also been on the show and she said you know what talk to my friend caitlin maybe she can help you out and so then i got hooked up with caitlin and she did help me out she we looked at all the shots that we had uh like the ones that i had half res renders that could just they would work and the ones that I needed help with. And there's like 20 shots, I think. And Caitlin jumped in and, and helped me get it done. And that's how the spear machine was finished. It was, it was our pleasure finishing it. It was a very special film and it had to be seen. So I'm glad we're able to finish up everything to kind of, you know, take it to completion. I remember when I was telling you this whole story, you said, oh yeah, we do this a lot. We help people whose films can't get finished because somebody else dropped the ball. <laughs> yeah, for some of our um, our clients who've been with us um, from the beginning, we've kind of you know known as their their emergency crew in a way where the last minute you know if it is something that's completely you know on plan for or whatnot you know we try to jump in and do the best we can. So the name of your company is Alpha Studios. Yes. Right. And can you tell us a little bit about like who you are like give us like the one minute bio for people who don't know who you are and 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 pull alpha studios into that story too so everyone knows like why you created your own company yeah sounds good um so i'm a visual effects artist turned supervisor um i had um the opportunity to get started um at a young age i um got to work on the walking dead season one before you know it blew up to you know the um kind before of people show. knew what it was yeah before wow. people knew what it was it was a little gem that I got to work on and um over the years i've freelanced at um many facilities working on many um great shows um i had a really fun time working on robot chicken for adult swim um, I've also worked a couple of other VFX shops in the LA area, including Zoic, Framestore, and MPC, um, doing a little bit of film, TV, and commercials as well. And in 2013, I founded Alpha Studios, and we offer post-production services um, for editing, visual effects, um, motion graphics, and color chiming. And nice. what was the genesis for starting your own company? Like, why did you leave those big houses and, and do this? Yeah, so I was offered um, a position abroad from one of the companies that I was freelancing at, and um, it was in India. And at the time, I wasn't ready to live that kind of lifestyle yet. I, I don't think I, you know, I don't think I'm there today as well. It just wasn't something that you know really you know spoke to me in any way with that. And there were 
a few things I wanted to change about the visual effects industry that I knew that the only way for me to do it is to really just make a completely new model. This has like been the conversation a lot with visual effects people over the past few years is the the tax incentives out of the country that shops are opening up different offices around the world to take advantage of those tax incentives. But it just means that a lot of the talented people are leaving the United States and going somewhere else. And it's, it's cha- it changes the industry and it makes it hard for like people in the United States to compete. Trump would love what I'm saying right now, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm curious, but like, so do you know what would have, what it would have meant if you had moved to India? Like what, the, what that lifestyle would have looked like? Do you, do you have like an idea uh, yeah, that. I had a I had a vague idea. I did have a couple of um, kind of co- you know coworkers um, back in the day that they did you know choose to kind of go on that lifestyle. Mm. And you know from the stories I've heard is you know it is a lot of you know adjustment initially, especially if you move to a country that's you know really different from the one that you've been in. And it's really about you know just being there for the work. You know, um, um, some people that I talked to they didn't even rent a place they would just kind of stay at you know an airbnb or something like that and for the duration of their show and then they would immediately come back and so to me i didn't want my day-to-day to be solely driven by work uh just because visual effects you know as most you know positions in post they consume a lot of time to do mm-hmm. so the few times that I'm not working, I really just need to recharge and look at different things and getting new ideas, you know, so I can be, you know, just as efficient I was, you know, today, tomorrow. And I just didn't think, you know, that worked for me as an artist if I were just, you know, living at a different country for, you know, I'm not sure how long, you know, probably for a duration of with the particular project that's getting the tax incentives in a way. And yeah, so I just, you know, much rather just work from a home base, you know, and start my own company. Have a little bit more security, you know, not not be so nomadic, you know, yeah. just like going wherever the job is, you know. Yeah. But how do you go from visual effects artist to starting your own company? Like what's the transition and how do you start getting clients? Um, so luckily we had a couple of clients that really liked, um, working with me, um, personally as a freelancer. So, you know, when I went back to them and say, Hey, now I have a little bit more bigger team. We can take on more things. You know, they were all for it. And honestly, when I started the company, I didn't have an exact kind of clear trajectory. It was just something I just felt the need to do. Um, and then along the way, we just kind of, you know, figured out each step. Nice. Mm. Um, so Timothy and I both have a background and, well, not really a background, but like we both had movies. <laughs> we both worked with visual effects. Yeah, I'll we say both that. made movies that have a significant amount of visual effects. Um, but my first experience was like completely different from the normal experience. But like, you know, what, what, what do you, basically my question is like, what, what kind of team do you need to start a company? Cause like, I can, I can imagine you need more than one person, right? Because you have to have all these different disciplines come under one roof in order to get a shop made or, or provide a service for, for a movie or for a show or something. Yeah. So yeah, when I first started, um, I, I started with a partner and, um, our vision has always been that, you know, f- whoever works at Alpha, you know, really needs to wear a couple of different hats and it should be something that, you know, they like doing. Um, so currently one of our uh, lead visual effects artists, he's also a great colorist, uh, which, you know, visual effects and color, a lot of people don't think of them as, you know, kind of 
book together, but you know, f- from a lot of the early movie making days, adding color to a film was your you know special effect in a way. And yeah, for us, transitioning into color you know was very easy. So to have a crew to kind of you know cover all of your bases, you're looking at you know having someone who can easily you know be, uh, um, so to have um, to start a company to cover all your bases, you're you know, looking for people who can help you cover, you know, the aspects of, you know, visual effects or whatever other services that you're offering. So for us, you know, we're looking for a generalist who can do a lot of 3D, um, a lot of 2D. Um, we had a producer, uh, you know, at a point to kind of help us with, you know, like the business side of things. So it's just a matter of figuring out what projects are coming through and then really breaking down those projects, you know, so you're hiring the right people. Let's take um, the spirit machine as an example. So Timothy comes to you, he brings you whatever, like was 40 shots. I don't know exactly how many it was. was, We had like 20 shots, 20 shots. So how do you handle 20 shots in your company? Are you doing them yourself or some of them? Or are you, you like handing them out to a bunch of different people? Like how does that work? So for the spirit machine, it was between me and my lead artist. Um, and when Timothy came to me, you know, it was, I asked to see the film, you know, in its entirety, you know, as, as, um, as how he had it, you know, back then. And, you know, I, I did see that, you know, there's some holes in the mistakes, there's a couple of VFX that will come on, but they wouldn't really last, to the, you know, during the duration of the shots. But, you know, um, I feel that Timothy, before he came to us, he already kind of did a lot of the heavy lifting by establishing the look that he wants, the tone that he wants. So for us, it was really, you know, just matching up the style and kind of like what he said, when one artist dropped out, you know, we're just like really trying to like stay true to, you know, the artist's vision and what he came up with Timothy and just really taking that, you know, to the finish line. Yeah, one of the hardest parts was there was some shots with a 3D element in it that we didn't have. And so, you know, given the amount of money that is able to offer Caitlin, she wasn't able to rebuild that whole thing and then render it and light it and and reanimate it. So we had to just use pieces that already existed and just do our best to cobble it together. So it was kind of a weird project because we were already so far down the path and I didn't have a lot of money. And so it was just Caitlin helping me figure out the best way to get it done and kind of get get the movie in a, a place where... Yeah, maybe not everything was great, but at least it told the story and you could get through it and it wasn't too distracting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have a few questions, but I don't know if you want to like go straight into this breakdown that we have here or if you want to just, you know... Just keep it loose for right now. Keep it We're loose, We're only huh? 10 minutes in. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just there's so many different um, like aspects to visual effects and... You know, I've worked in a very, um, you know, like kind of loose, unprofessional environment with my visual effects artists. I mean, one, one was a company, but the other guy was just a guy with a computer and he did my whole movie for me, you know, and it was pretty amazing. <laughs> How many shots did you have? I think 16. Um, mm-hmm. And it took him a year, but he mm-hmm. got them all done and he did all the lighting, the animation, you know, everything, the whole, the whole deal. Like he didn't farm anything out to anybody. But I, I, I learned quickly that that's not normal, that usually you have like a bunch of different people working on stuff. Um, but I don't know. I guess I just wanted to, to you know, I'm trying to form an actual question here. Um, <laughs> just yeah. a, instead of a question, have a, just a topic like, hey, let's talk about this this thing like a team of artists versus one artist doing it or however you want to. I, I guess what I really want to know is like, 
like just for me, this is just my personal question. Like, like let's say I come to you and I have, um, you know, a, a set of, um, you know, visuals, like a storyboard or something like for a visual effects sequence, like, you know, I come into your office, I give you that. What happens next? Okay. Yeah. So, um, for, um, for me personally, I like to, you know, kind of be brought on early in the pre-production period. Um, and that's, I think, you know, something that a lot of filmmakers, you know, are learning, you know, through their process, but it's really beneficial, um, for everyone involved, you know, to have, um, your post people be involved in pre-production, you know, depending on what kind of post, you know, you might not, you know, be heavily involved in the beginning, you know, you might just really need them, you know, to supervise production and finish post, you know, whatever the case might be, but it's always good to have everyone on your team be on the same page early, you know, on a project as opposed to just bring in post people to, you know, kind of quote unquote, fix it in post in a way. And yeah, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it really, <laughs> um, and it really depends on you know what kind of visuals you're needing, and you know in terms to um, in terms of the story, you know, and what you have in mind. Um, but you know, say you, if you're coming into me, and I, you know, from the script, a lot of times um, I do script breakdowns to really you know figure out the areas where you guys can shoot things practically, or it's, you know, on why you shoot things practically, it has to be a CG element. So I do that um, early on, um, just in the script phase, you know, and then I work with, you know, the director, um, and a lot of times the cinematographer, then on set to figure out how to best, you know, film it, that will be, you know, the most economical for post, things will, you know, um, filming things in a certain way, that's a lot easier for us to handle, getting all the camera information, getting all the measurements of where the room is shot, you know, for, you know, 2D, 3D recreations, what have you, but, um, so it, it's it's very case by case, but I will say as an example, so, you know, so say if you're coming to me and, you know, you have this minor character that comes on, you know, that comes into your story for maybe, you know, like two or three minutes and it's a CG character. So the first thing I will look for is, you know, what kind of performance does this, you know, CG character need to be given? Do you have any visuals, you know, in mind or any, you know, even Google images or even YouTube videos are like, oh, hey, I really like, you know, this thing from this particular film. Then that kind of helps everyone involved to like land in a visual, you know, placement, if you will, you know, to have everyone kind of think, you know, along the same path of exactly what you want, you know, your CG characters to be. And then whenever CG is involved, you know, I'm also thinking about, how many people do I need to hire for a 3D? Can I hire a generalist? You know, um, luckily, you know, now for a little bit, we've been, you know, we've been working with a few people that we're really comfortable with. But um, there's a lot of different components, you know, that are involved in 2D and 3D um, visual effects. Well, let's let's take this the character you're talking about and let's break that down. Like, what are who are the team members you need to create like a CG character? Yeah, um, you know, just for fun, let's just say that, you know, we're creating a CG robot, right? Um, so you're, um, if, if it does have to, you know, kind of interact, you know, with the live action elements that you're filming and whatnot, uh -huh. you know, most of the time it's a 3D to 2D, you know, kind of visual effects job. And on the 3D side, you're looking at a lot of, you know, different categories, you know, and each category is, you know, is, is, an, is a specialty of its own. A lot of people, you know, they kind of spend their whole lives on one area to, you know, be really good at it. But, you know, some of the areas would be like modeling, rigging, texturing, animating, 
And then you have to light the thing. You have to render it out. Sometimes you're working with simulations, you know, yeah. in 3D. Sometimes you're solving a camera in 3D to kind of, you know, add something else to the scene and make it feel believable. And then after, you know, you kind of have all your elements, you know, from 3D, then you have to move on to 2D to really add it, you know, to your story, add it to your cut and add it to your plates and whatnot. And then for 2D, there's a lot of green screen work, a lot of paintings, whether it be paint outs or matte painting, um, final compositing, you know, rotoscoping, color correction, all that. Now, I'm assuming most people listening to this probably know a little bit about visual effects, but for in case there's any like totally newbie people out there, I think I have kind of an analogy that helps me at least think about it. Because when I did my first CG movie, Lone, I realized that because I think it's very easy to dismiss that things are happening in the computer. Like you see good visual effects work and you just go, yeah, that's cool. It's done in a computer. (laughs) You don't really you don't think about the, the time it takes to create it. But when I saw artists actually bringing those things to life, it was really the same as like the old ILM model makers just done inside a computer. So you have people that are really skilled at like designing models. You have people that are really skilled at like building the models. You have good people that are really good at painting the models. Then you have good people that are really good at shooting the models. So like I like to think of CG as it's a live action shoot, but it's all taking place in a computer. You still have to build everything. You still have to set up all the lights. You still have to put the camera in there and then you have to shoot it. And then from there, you have like an element that you can then composite into your scene. And I think most people understand like the compositing side of things, but the, like the 3D side of things, like all those different like buckets of people that kind of like work on things. If you think about it, like it's a model and like how you would have done it practically back in the 80s, 70s and 80s, then I think it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, they do, they, they call people working in visual effects wizards. And I personally, I'm, I'm not a fan of that term. Um, <laughs> you know, not? well, you know, first of all, when I think of wizards, I think of, you know, like Dumbledore, like, you know, we're not, we're not wizards. <laughs> what we do is not magical at all. All the things I just listed, you know, they take months, if not years to complete. So for, you know, for me, it's like, oh, there's really nothing magical about, having a whole bunch of people who are very talented or working on this very subsequent thing for, you know, years and years and years. It's when I think of magic, I think of an instant thing. But I think that's kind of where the mis- you know, misconception, you know, comes from is that most of the people, when they see visual effects, they just see the final visual effects deliver shots, right? They don't really right. see the renditions and the, the iterations that kind of went in to get to that final spot. So for people who are unfamiliar with visual effects, yeah, they do think it is something magical that can be happened right away, you know, that, that um, can be done quickly, but oftentimes right. that's not the case. Well, and, and that's something you brought up like before, like sometimes you might advise somebody to shoot something practically. And I'm curious to hear like your thoughts on practical visual effects versus computer like when when should people be using the computer to achieve an effect and when should they be shooting it in camera yeah so you know a lot of things kind of dictate um so a lot of you know different elements kind of dictate you know whether you should you know use special effects in your film or all you know leave it up to uh visual effects later on in post you know one of the big thing is you know safety um, a lot of times it also comes down to money as well. Um, so just, you know, just to give an example, um, a couple of years ago, we worked on uh, this very popular series. It's called Video Game High School uh, with Freddie Wong and his company Rocket Jump. 
And uh-huh. yeah. the first season, you know, it was kind of, you know, the um, during the first season, they didn't have a lot of, you know, resources. It was, you know, a new show. They didn't have a lot of, you know, kind of financiers behind their backs, you know. And so they did a lot of these things practically, you know, and working with someone like Freddie, like, you know, he... He, he lives and breathes kind of, you know, visual effects and CG. Like, he, he knows, you know, oh, what, oh, if we can't do this, it's fine. You know, like, I'll, I'll figure it out later, right? And he's very comfortable with that. And as a filmmaker, kind of like Freddie, you do have that luxury of, you know, oh, I'll fix this later in CG because it will take me way shorter amount of time to figure out on the computer later than it is for me to kind of, you know, working with everyone, slow down the crew just to fix this one thing. And for, you know, the, you know, the very small number of people who can think that way, Yes, visual effects, it is kind of a luxury. It is something that you can kind of put in the back burner and just kind of, you know, take it out when whenever you need it, right? Um, for a lot of the... Um, so for, for the first season, um, they didn't have a lot of, you know, special effects. It was all kind of post-production added. A lot of screen comps, you know, a lot, you know because this, the show is about, you know, teenagers playing video games. You know, it was about kind of integrating video games in their environment, however, way, you know, however many ways we can, um, in their dorm that they were all living, though all the walls had just like you know, um, just had gamer handles just scrolling up and down on the walls, you know, like all the time, mm-hmm. and yeah. that's you know, and that's like you know, a, a visual element that they've you know really later honed in and really developed. But then during seasons two and three, once the show you know has gained its popularity, it was really you know, it was a lot more feasible to do some of the bigger effects, you know, practically in camera, you know, I think they, they had a huge explosion, um, you know, that looked amazing, you know, like in the series. And one of the reasons looked amazing because it was real. And this is kind of what it looks like (laughs) when you, when you blow up this place for real, right? And there are, you know, elements, you know, in CG that it's really hard to get it right. And we've come a long way. I do think that a lot of these kind of object things, right? So whenever you see a car chase, more time than not, all the cars are CG because, you know, for safety reasons, you really can't have like 20 or 30 cars, you know, kind of zooming in each other on the freeway. So a lot of times uh, what they would do is they would shoot a hero car, you know, with their main actors in it. And then the row will either be empty or, you know, have very few cars, you know, kind of as, um, you know, as need be, you know, as kind of um, references, if you need, uh, if, if you will. But, um, you know, it, it all just comes down to, you know, like what the story needs, you know, um, are there elements that you can cut around, you know, whatever you're shooting and still have the story to be told? Or do you really need, you know, your kind of what I call it, like your, your money moment, like this is the money shot. Um, you know, this is, a, you know, the the shot in the story that needs to be computer generated to kind of move on to the other, you know, um, to kind of move on past this point to the other parts of the story. And yeah, so it really dictates, you know, with um, safety, you know, a lot of other kind of production is questions, um, you know, location, um, finances, all that stuff. But I would say that if you can, using special effects will never hurt your film. Right. Um, because it's something that is, is, is real. It's never going to look that, you know, it is like, it's, that's the best it's going to look, right? Because it is being filmed with everything else. And if anything, so say, you know, if you're shooting like a little fireball or something like that, if, you know, it's not looking exactly like how you want it, well, at least you have, you know, kind of, 
um, an element that was done by the special effects people as a reference, right? If you're if you want the fire to be bigger, well, at least you have a smaller fire to compare the angle, the composition, and the lighting for you to kind of you know make a bigger fire later in post. In in an example, like let's say like they shoot a fireball and it's too small, would you just make a visual effects fireball around it that's bigger, or would you have to like do a completely different shot with a with a different plate? Yeah, it depends on how you know you film things. Um, for for visual effects, we really like things to be separate <laughs> as as much as if its own element as possible. Uh, so you know, for the example of that you know, we're just kind of you know kind of throwing around with a fireball, sometimes it just might be a matter of rotoscoping around the fireball and making it a little bigger, right? Sometimes it's about creating CG fire elements to put on top of that. Sometimes, you know, you just want to replace it all together with CG, you know, kind of matching the lighting and everything like that, but you just want a different, you know, a different kind of fire. So it just all depends on, you know, what you want um, the final product to look like. Um, so here's another question, just kind of following up on that same thing. Like, do you like the idea of working with practical effects and then um, like augmenting them with visual effects? Because I, I had a project where that was like basically my idea and it, it kind of worked, but like my visual effects team decided to go in a different direction than what we had planned to do. Like we'd, we had put like, um, you know, like a face uh, piece on our actors and then um, arms on our actors, like these like alien arms. And then they were supposed to create a jaw out of like an animated jaw that would go on their faces mm. but basically they didn't have enough money so like we had put tracking marks on their faces and we had done like a, a 3d like map of their head so they could like give that to an animator and go ahead and create this jaw but then we just didn't have any money so what he did was he just you know went into post and like stretched their mouths out to make jaws out mm, of their out I of their see. mouths yeah and it worked okay and he had to remove the tracking marks and everything but i guess my question is is that something that you would like to that you'd have done or is that like a like a method that works or was that just kind of a crazy idea that i had that isn't really that practical yeah so um in terms of you know visual effects you know for for indie films it's important to figure out where you want to spend the majority of your resources whether that be you know talent or you know or money um, and for um, for that case in particular, whenever you know something, whenever there needs to be a CG character of some sort, whether it be a complete you know CG character, whether it be an augmented part of someone's body that's going to have you know other limbs, they're going to have you know different face or whatnot. That you know, if I if I read that in a script, you know that would really you know kind of slow down the whole process, a whole you know uh, like that would slow down my post production you know thinking process you know definitely. Um, for for especially for faces, um, we did you know we have come a long way of making faces look you know as good as they do now. Like in the last Star Wars, I won't spoil it, but in the last scene, I was I was like you know I'm, my jaw was on the ground. I was like, oh my god, I can't believe I you know just saw you know that <laughs> you know animation look you know that looked that good. Um, but for yeah for faces especially, there's very little room for mistakes or there's very little wiggle room when it comes to facial animation right so for something like that um i, w I don't know i will definitely i definitely would have asked to do some tests you know with your special effects you know uh team and just do different 
test shots and then figuring out, you know, what works and what doesn't. So um, right now we're doing visual effects for a show on Verizon Go 90 called Miss 2059. And um, they've been doing this for, nice. yeah, and um, so so the star of the show is Anna Arcana. She's a you know, well-known YouTuber and she's been doing this for a long time, you know, with crews, you know, big and small. So it was really easy to work with her because they know what the visual effects process takes and they know what kind of time and resources we require. So it was really refreshing, you know, to be brought on um, during the pre-production kickoff like everyone else, right? Everyone was in the room. The editors, like the sound mixer, everyone was there. And that was a really good indication that, hey, like everyone is really going to work, you know, like hand in hand together with this. And during the process, you know, when whenever we will be supervising on set or even before we get, we got to that point, we're always in communications with production design, our department, special effects team, really to figure out if everything that they're creating works for everyone that's going to be involved in these type of shots, right? And they did have, you know, really, really good looking um, kind of like alien makeup, you know, that was done um, by, um, yeah, um, so, so they had, you know, like really good looking like space, you know, alien makeup that was done for a lot of the characters. And that was, you know, all kind of giving to their special effects team to make it, you know, look as believable and, you know, as realistic as possible. But it's, it's about kind of bringing your A game, but also, you know, you have to be aware of everyone else working with you, right? So for one of their episodes, they wanted to, you know, be all black and white minus a few, you know, objects in the scene that will have color. And, even before they filmed it, even, you know, during the script phase, I met with a colorist and we figured out the best way for us to hand off a shot or for them to kick a shot to us, you know, if they can't do certain things, you know, in color timing or whatnot. It's all about kind of working together. There really isn't like a short way for me to say, yes, this method will work, you know, no, this method wouldn't. Because a lot of times it's hard for us to know 100% until we're there, until we're like testing it, and until we're working, you know, with all the departments to kind of come up with a really good solution for a problem. Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. It's got to be a very case by case basis. And then, you know, just working with people to get in, in the earliest stage possible. I, that makes sense that that would be the best way to approach it. Um, hey, quick shout right. out. Yeah, did, I was just going to say, yeah. did you realize tw Miss uh, 2059 uh, oh, is yeah, of course. our friend Oren? Yeah, from Just Shoot It. Yeah, I was about to say that. <laughs> Caitlin, have you been on Just Shoot It yet? I have not. You will. Okay. <laughs> well, we seem to have a lot of overlap between our two yeah, podcasts. Right? It's I, I don't think he's not directing the second season, but he directed the first season. Yeah, um, the first season was great. Yeah, so uh, yeah, but you know that I, I watched one episode um, of that show, like the very first one, I think, uh, and it's pretty awesome. And the, and the makeup was really good. Oh yeah, the and, makeup uh, is as, phenomenal. As a sci-fi geek, that's like you know right up my alley. Yeah, you know? it's perfect. Um, yeah, but I don't know if you can watch the rest of it online, or if you have to like have a Verizon phone or something. Like I don't exactly know how. Yeah, it works. so you can actually um, stream um, all the episodes from season one on Verizon Go 90 site for free. Oh, for free. Oh, cool. So you don't have to like be a Verizon uh, fan, like whatever. No, you don't have to download customer. their app or anything like that. Although, you know, oh, okay. they do have one that, you know, all the shows are kind of, you know, categorized nicely in their library, but you know, or you can just, you know, go on a, a web browser and just go to Verizon go 90. They're all there. Nice. That's awesome. Um, 
the other question I had was like, so you're saying that you like to be brought in as early as you can on a project, but like, what's the norm for you? Like, how do you normally get brought uh, have a project brought to your team? Um, so unfortunately, a lot of times how we get brought in is um, after the edit has been done and, you know, a, a filmmaker will come to me and, you know, and ask, you know, oh, can we do this? Can this be fixed and can this be changed? And, you know, there, you know, we, we, we do what we can at that, you know, stage. But for for visual effects, well, one, um, in my opinion, is always easier to remove things than it is to add Right. So, you know, inevitably in every show that we work on, there's going to be some sort of removal, whether it be like a boom shadow or like a marker or, you know, like a C stand or like a traffic cone or something like that. Right. And those are relatively easy. Those are, you know, are things that, yeah, we weren't planned. They kind of end up in a few of our shots. Can you take them out? And most of the time, you know, those things are relatively doable. But then, you know, when, when you are really thinking about adding, you know, like a CG character or something much bigger or something that has, you know, where the visual effects plays a much bigger role in the film, then it is hard, you know, for someone to, you know, pick up where you left off, you know, with the edit and, you know, kind of add everything when in reality, like 75% of your film is already done. Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess some, sometimes it would be hard to know, it would be, it would be hard to know as a filmmaker that that's a completely bad idea, that like if you want to add anything big after you've made your movie, that like obviously that's not going to work. Um, but I guess some people, you know, it's like it's a learning experience for a lot of people, for everybody really, you know, like you don't know until you try and then it's like, oh, geez. Yeah, I should have I should have had my visual <laughs> effects team on from the very very beginning. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, do you get a lot of boom shadow removal? Is that like a a normal thing that comes across your plate? Um, no, I'm just kind of using that as an example of you know the typical okay. things I found set. <laughs> but say. I do have to say though, I I have reached my uh, my lifetime limit of removing C stands. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> like ten years ago, so I, I can't remove any more C stands without you know going into another a lifespan. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> so if I come to you like, oh, I need some C-stands removed, you're like, no, oh, no. Can, can do I'm it, can do it. But if you, want to, if you want to add a robot, though, you know, let's continue talking. I'm all down for robots. There's no C-stand removed. no C-stand. That's so funny. Oh, man. That, that probably happens a lot, though, even now. I mean, you know, because everyone's like, oh, yeah, just take it out in post. I'll just fix it in post. Like, everyone's just like, oh, you know. It seems so easy. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so on set, you know, a lot of times, you know, before you roll the camera, you call last looks from various departments. So if you don't have anyone present in VFX, then you're not going to have that set of eyeballs looking for these things. I can just, you know, you can just easily have someone run into the shot, take it out versus, you know, removing it in post-production. So kind of think of it as, you know, if you do have a makeup or a wardrobe person on set, you know, when you call last looks, you're kind of expecting them to check the frame to make sure everyone's good. You want that, like you want someone in post-production to do the same for you because that's ultimately where your film is going to end up. Right. Well, that that's the ideal way, but I think a lot of people making indie films don't don't even have last last looks, or the last looks are like mm. a director or maybe like a producer just doing their best mm, to like yeah. just stay up so that you keep up with everything. But yeah, like things are moving fast on our end. A lot of times when I'm supervising on set as well, I will bring in um, another person, like another artist, to just be my second pair of eyes, um, just because for us too 
when we're looking at the thing, like when we're looking at the same frame or the same shot for so long, a lot of times we miss things that are very obvious because we're kind of focusing on kind of, you know, like 25% of the frame or we're, you know, we're, and like, you know, we kind of got lost in, you know, kind of the work and whatnot. We kind of forgot that, oh, there's another portion of the frame that we haven't, you know, looked at it yet. So, you know, it is very important, you know, to have, you know, fresh eyes on things. And, you know, and sometimes the mistakes, if no one notices them, don't fix it. It's fine. Right. Um, right. Like if you have something, you know, way on the corner of your shot, you're like, oh, we have to remove it. But a lot of your action is happening in the middle of frame. Well, you know, if you if your characters are giving the performances, you know, that you want, that's where your eyes should be. Your eyes are not going to be at the edge of frame looking at the thing that should have been removed. You know? Right. I mean, yeah. even Jurassic Park has a mistake in it. Yeah, I right. saw that. I saw that like maybe a week ago. I I actually have never noticed that, and I've seen Jurassic Park so many times. <laughs> <laughs> What's the mistake for yeah. us who hasn't seen this video? So if you haven't seen it yet, um, watch uh, Jurassic Park again, and right kind of like at the end, the big moment where kind of the Jurassic Park banner falls down. You have this you know huge dinosaur kind of coming out um, when. When the big dinosaur is eating one of the little ones, uh, when it's kind of shaking in its head, the, dino, uh, the smaller dinosaur, the one that's in its mouth, disappears for a frame. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just a frame. Just a frame, yeah. yeah. Wow. And you really have to be paying attention for Even that. Even in the remastered version, too? Like, they didn't catch that? I don't know if it's in the remastered version or not, but... Um... They probably just left it in. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I remember seeing it in uh, the theater when they did the re-release a few years ago and just being like completely floored by how amazing those visual effects looked. And I definitely didn't notice it. Right? Cut, yeah. The, the visual effects in that film still holds up to this day. It's amazing. That's because they really chose the shots, right? If, if every dinosaur was CG from yeah, it would frame not one up. to the end, it yeah. wouldn't hold up. It I wouldn't think hold up. It's yeah. because like there's so many practical effects in there that it really just lends itself to this like realism, like that the CG just melds with the real world stuff and just feels really good. Here's a random VFX question for you, Caitlin, that you probably won't be able to answer, but I want to ask anyways. Um, so, so my wife and I were always watching old movies, you know, and like, yeah, Jurassic Park's a great example. Like those visual effects are completely amazing. Like Terminator 2, completely amazing visual effects. But then you have a movie like Alien 3, which I don't know if you've seen, but <laughs> the alien VFX alien in that movie basically looks like a PlayStation 1 video game character. Um, I'm just wondering, like, do you, do you know why is that? Like, you Wasn't know, like, it a puppet? No, not in the third one. <laughs> I thought I remember seeing behind the scenes where they had they were like puppeteering well, they, it. I remember they seeing... do have some puppets, but they do have some shots where it's a full VFX creature and it looks mm. just terrible. And it's like, how can it that be so bad when just like a year ago or two years earlier they did the amazing T two, um, you know, like you know whatever because well, ILM didn't work on it. <laughs> right. But it just, it seems so insane that they'd have such a big, like, drastic jump from quality during the same time, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I follow a lot of, you know, people working in visual effects on social media and whatnot. And, you know, I'm, and a lot of my fees, you know, whenever there's something new that came out that, you know, either has really good VFX or has really bad VFX, you know, someone inevitably will make a GIF out of it and they'll, you know, kind of be all on social media and whatnot. But, um, you know, I don't know exactly what happened, but I will, you know, guess to say that it's really a matter of vision 
versus time versus money, <laughs> right? So you know maybe maybe they just you know didn't have you know the 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 artist needed to kind of you know take. Um, a character like that, you know, and, and make it, you know, really well, and um, and you know, and 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 have it be like a really good like CG moment, right? But something, you know, it it, it just happens. Kind of like looking back, like in you know, in the short career that I have now, you know, I'll, one, I I have this rule: I I don't watch my own things. I don't watch my oh, own shows. Really? Yeah, never. Wow. I, yeah, That's I try. Smart. I, I, I try need not to. Take, to. take that. In yeah, just because whenever I'm watching it, even though I try so hard to keep my VFX, you know, portion of my <laughs> mind off, but that's kind of where my eye goes to, like every time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, like there's, you know, you you want to deliver the best work you can for every show, but you know, it, it's kind of hard to hit like a hundred percent. You know every single time right so there there's gonna oh, be yeah. like a little, I know exactly a little what you mean. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> <laughs> yeah so what kind of work is alpha doing mostly is it is it independent films is it tv is it web stuff yeah so we do a lot of commercials and tv but we also you know try to keep our our um, schedule you know flexible to take on any indie works you know that come in because our love really kind of begin you know in, in these shorts and features and we really want to help you know as many people as we can i like what you were saying before about how like the people you hire to work at alpha wear many different hats and that just sounds like independent filmmaking like everyone on an indie crew has to be able to wear several hats because there's just never enough money to hire a full-on crew yeah, so I, I like totally that you agree. guys are doing the same thing. Yeah, you know, and you know, for for indie filmmaking, especially, you know, so say, you know, if I need to hire a different guy for, you know, a different guy or girl for, you know, modeling, animating, lighting, rendering, or I can just hire a generalist who can do all of that, right? That's really going to save me one um, on time because it's not going to have to kind of go, you know, in the hands of four different people. It can just, you know, kind of stay on one machine, you know, have one person work on it. And two, you know, it's really going to kind of stretch your dollar in a way, you know, for indie films, you know, to maybe, you know, stay on budget, maybe even have a little bit left over, right? So mm-hmm. it's, all, it's all about kind of um, like, you know, finding the right type of people for the project. I'm curious to know, um, in your experience, do you find that people who are working with visual effects, it helps for them to know that world really well? Or do you think it doesn't matter? Like once you hire professionals, it, it, it doesn't matter how much experience a filmmaker has with it. Um, I'd say it's important for you to know a little bit of it, right? Um, how much? It's it's important for you to at least be able to understand kind of the basic jargons of it and really understand when or when, you know, when you need this tool versus when you don't. So an example I like to think of is, you know, if you're hiring a sound guy and you never record a sound and you never, you know, you don't really have different mics or you don't have a mic, you know, for that matter, you never work with a sound person. Well, how, how do you communicate that to the sound person? Right. Um, for, right. Right, for, exactly. for me, you know, like I, you know, I, I am a fan of saying, you know, at times I don't know, but, I'll, you know, let me find out. Right. And if there's an area that I don't know, I would do my homework, you know, well ahead of time to really try, you know, to watch as many videos. And, and there's so many there's so much things online now that, you know, it, you don't have an excuse like not to do your homework. Right. So just really figuring out what this person 
you know, like what kind of work this person does, you know, just by watching existing visual effects, right? If you, if you ever wanted to make a film with dinosaurs, right? If you can, you know, refer back to Jurassic Park or Jurassic World, you know, even it, it, it helps to have like a common, you know, like a common language to, you know, to, to, you know, to kind of communicate with the people on your team. So you think if like you've never worked with visual effects before, you you've seen a bunch of movies, of course, but like you've never actually worked in it, and you don't exactly know how how it works at, at all. Do you recommend people just watching some behind the scenes featurettes on visual effects just to like kind of get their head around like what it actually takes to do one shot, just so they can enter the conversation with a little bit more experience? Yeah, I mean that you know I I love when you know when filmmakers do that. I love when filmmakers you know bring up you know indie films that I haven't seen yet. You know that have really good effects. Like oh oh you know this is you know this is something for me to check out. But it also really you know it kind of just you know tells me that you know this person has put in a lot of thought into what they're asking me and it's not an afterthought right um it, it is kind of disheartening you know when i work with filmmakers and they come to me and be like oh cool so i want to do this i want to do this i want to do this and by the way here's my film <laughs> oh, and you're that's like, funny. Yeah. wait did you like, oh, we're, we're like three months too late to do any of the major things that you're mentioning right <laughs> yeah so it's it's about kind of you know being prepared, know the language, you know, if I, if, you know, if, you know, I tell people, oh, we need to light the green screen a certain way so we can pull a clean key, what, what does that mean, right? And that's just jargon that, you know, gets thrown around all the time. You can watch, you know, pick any behind the scenes videos, you know, and, and you'll pick up a little bit of this. Hmm. Right, right. Yeah. So just got basic understanding of how, how things work, you know, like you don't have to be an expert, but yeah, I think anyone who like has shot anything or worked in some some form of video production knows what a clean key means. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know. let's talk about green screen because that's that's a big one. Like if you if you don't light a green screen correctly, how much harder is it for you guys to work with it? It's going to take a lot longer to get your film through post production. That's for sure. That's such an easy fix to on set that, you know, there really shouldn't be, you know, a lot of these cases anymore. Right. But if no so, one on set has the experience with like keying out green, they're not going to know if it's like if it's good or not. Right. Or, yeah. or is there like some general rule of thumb that you can tell them or is it just you just need a visual effects person on set to look at it and say, yeah, I can I can key that. I've done that like a million times. That's fine. Keep it the way it is or it's not flat enough. Like make sure it's flat. Right. I don't know. What do you think? Like, it has to be a professional on set that's done it before? Or is there a rule of thumb you could just give a filmmaker while they're shooting that they can do it on their own? Yeah. So, you know, it depends on, you know, like what kind of workflow, you know, makes the most sense for your film. If it's an indie film, is someone just going to be editing it, you know, kind of, you know, one or two people kind of handling all of post and say if you're, you know, if they're going to be editing in Premiere and they are looking to add some very simple effects in Premiere, including green screen. You know, I will recommend just, you know, do a quick YouTube search, you know, um, green screen premiere, you know, or, you know, tracking markers, green screen premiere, however, you know, kind of, you know, these buzzwords, these keywords, you know, you need, you want to put in your, in your search query, but it just kind of, you know, to get a sense, because all we do, like we, we, like we provide visuals, right? And a lot of our kind of problem solving and, and all that, you know, can, is best explained visually. So if you have never worked with the green screen, you know, look at, you know, the top three green screen videos. They might, you know, all be worked in through different softwares where we're, we're not, you know, but the concept, it's the same for every one of them. 
so for me, when I'm doing a green screen shoot, because I just shoot interviews on green screen a lot. Yeah. We're just trying to get it to be as flat as possible and like even all across the green. Um, is that the same for when you're doing visual effects? Yeah, like, that's I, the same. I just assume it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't want to like just like be like, oh yeah, of course I know how to do a green screen, blah blah blah. But like, I who knows if it's different for visual effects or not. But yeah, it sounds like it's the same. Yeah. Um, it must get kind of complicated though if you have like a bunch of different like green screen elements like in different like parts of the set that all need to be evenly keyed. Like that's gotta be a pretty tricky lighting thing to do. Yeah, that is. You know, and that is something. You know, once again, you do need to work. You know, closely with your director and your DP to really figure out. You know, the best. You know, like the best ways to have everyone one's work present um and what i mean by that is you know so say if your dp you know shoots this awesome thing and it looks really good the lighting you know works for you know for the tone of the story the camera move is great and but if you don't have anyone in post-production that can you know really match that camera match that lighting put in the cg make it feel like it's part of the environment and then you're, you're kind of doing a disservice you know to the work of the dp and everyone involved because you know like not everyone brought their A game, you know, for this particular shoot, you know, or kind of the outcome of this particular shoot. Um, and that's something, you know, that, you know, you get, you know, by, by practicing, you know, if you know a little bit of visual effects and you know that your film calls, you know, for a lot, you know, your next film or whatever, you know, hire another person, you know, to help you out, you know, that's definitely, yeah, that's something advised. Yeah, because it seems pretty crazy that if you're trying to light dynamically for your movie, for your set, for your actors, and then you have a green screen element in the background that you need to have flat, like that's got to be pretty challenging <laughs> from a lighting perspective to make that happen. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, you know, kind of, it's, it's a dance between, you know, the set, the location, the production design, you know, your resources, but, you know, for a lot of times, um, green screen it's its own separate element so you know it is um, a lot easier if you can just have lightings just dedicated to the green screen without you know needing the same kind of light you know to be cast on another actor or something like that nice yeah I would recommend to anyone that's considering putting a lot of green screen in their movie just not to do it I had so many shots in the spirit machine where it was just green screen removal and then adding kind of like an extra room in the back and just seeing how much extra work that was. I I would have done it a different way if I could go back and do it. I will actually recommend um, blue screen for indie films. And one of the reasons for that is it doesn't cast as hard of a color on your actors if you're working in a smaller area or a smaller room. And a mm-hmm. lot of times, you know, having a blue cast on a skin tone, it's not like it's not a bad thing, right? You get, you know, kind of this blue cast from the sky and whatnot. You know, you wouldn't necessarily, you know, want to have a greenish color on your face, you know, and that right. kind of comes from, you know, being in a room, you know, where there's too much green screen or if you're too close to the green screen or whatnot. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, the the having that green... Um, yeah, the green reflection, the green hue, like hitting your actors. That's something that we deal with in my stupid interview shoots that I do. You know, just like, oh, there's a little green, like, backlight coming onto them. Ah, oh, geez. Well, they just, the room you gave us wasn't big enough. We couldn't get them far enough from the green screen. Gosh, sorry. We told you we wanted a bigger room. But, you know, yeah, those things happen sometimes. Um, I have another question. So here's a crazy, like, just a random situation that happened to me. Um, a visual effects company emailed me when I was trying, like ramping up to produce a feature and they're like, Hey, um, we do visual effects for blah, blah, blah types of movies. Da, da, da. 
and all this thing or whatever. And they were trying to like get me to like hire them to be my visual effects company. And so then I, um, you know, I'm, I'm working, I'm raising money for a movie right now. And so I was like, Hey, I got this movie. This is a thing. Like it's a big, um, element with this portal that I need to create. That's going to be a visual effects element. Um, I'd love to talk to you about like what the budget would be, whatever, whatever. And I like threw out the budget of my movie and they were like, Oh, we don't work on anything under like a $2 million budget or something. Mm. Like, does your company work in the similar way or are you guys more open to like projects of any size or how do you guys? Well, first of all, she said yes to the spirit machine, which was not $2 million. So. <laughs> right. Right. But you know, yeah, I just, just curious on like if you have a process that you like or is a certain number that you have to hit or certain types of projects yeah so you know for for you know um post houses of different sizes and whatnot you know we do have you know like different requirements for us um we don't use budget as a sole deciding factor or yes or no for us uh, now you know kind of you know i've been doing this for 10 years so what i like to do is i like to work on the stories that i would potentially watch and i will recommend my friends to watch as well so it's really about you know just the concept of story um you know and 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 the people right like if you know if we gel right away then yeah you know i would like to continue this conversation you know to see how we can help you out with your film but um, you know, it, it's kind of like other positions, you know, in in production or in post as well. You know, if if you want to work with someone, you know, and they're saying, oh, we can't work with you because you don't meet our criteria, then, you know, maybe it's best for both parties, you know, to, you know, to not to collaborate then. Right, right. Like, so you, it's just about finding a good fit, like for project personalities and, and everything. It's not like a certain amount of money or a certain amount of anything. Yeah, you know, and, and sometimes... Um, when I was starting out, so I studied animation at USC, and my focus was visual effects. You know, just starting out, I was just, you know, really hungry for opportunities, you know, f to work on sets and whatever. So I worked on, you know, during my my uh, my undergrad days, you know, I did a lot of projects for films because I wanted the experience and filmmakers needed my help. So, you know, sometimes depending on, you know, your budget and, you know, what other criteria, you know, you have it, you know, sometimes maybe, you know, you can bring on, you know, a, a junior artist or student artist, you know, that can help you out along the way too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's all about trying to find a team that like, like you said, that just really likes your project and believes in it and like wants to, to make it happen just the way that you do. And, you know, obviously you're going to give your, your visual effects department as much budget as you can, but like, you know, in the indie world, obviously those numbers are a lot lower than we wish they were yeah. most of the time. And, you know, and it's also about, you know, like, developing you know good working relationship with someone you know for a lot of these indie films like these films are your babies you know you, you don't want to just hand your baby off to a stranger that you never you know worked with you know there has to be some sort of you know kind of like relationship building you know somewhere in the process you know for everyone to love your baby as much as you do and if you shop your movie around and you can't find somebody that loves it as much as you then your movie sucks and you shouldn't make it Right, Arik? <laughs> That's painful. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I'd ever be convinced of that. If I if I brought the alternate to like you know five different um, visual effects houses and they all passed on it for various reasons, um, I don't think I would just not make the movie. Well, I would just keep on looking. Yeah, I'll just say this: when I was trying to find people to work on the Spirit Machine, I talked to a lot of people that said no before I found people that said yes. And the reason a lot of people said yes was just because I had working relationships with them through commercial producing yeah exactly um, 
Yeah, so well, that always why helps too. Why do people say no a lot, do you think? And, and how many people did you bring it to? I don't remember, but I, I, I do remember the first stop that I made was Stan Winston's company, Legacy FX, to see if they wanted to help. <laughs> well, come on. Well, that's an obvious, I mean, really, I was like, man. Hey, so I have this little movie here. Uh, I love the work that you've done for my company on uh, Chester the Cheetah. And uh, he, I was just wondering, you know, I think practical effects would be really cool to do on this. Like, are you guys interested? They, they looked at it, but they're like, no, we're too busy right now. And then probably like, you know, The Mill or MPC. I'm sure I talked to like some of those bigger houses thinking like, oh, they're like huge, huge places that probably have like a lot of artists and they, they have downtime. But I found that it was easier to find smaller shops to work on it than it was like the really big places. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, it kind of all just depends on, um, you know, like what like ultimately like it has to make sense for you know for both parties involved right like if you know for for bigger for bigger studios if they have to have you know if if their budget has to meet a certain amount you know to kind of you know keep everything going keep everyone you know on payroll then right, that's they have you know, a bigger overhead and bigger overhead and that's something you know that they have to stick with and sometimes you know for for indie filmmakers maybe you just need to find one visual effects artist that can just help you out a little bit maybe you not you don't really need a company or if you have you know a lot of different shots maybe you kind of you know divide it up among the freelancers you find it might and, you know it, it's not the best you know case scenario but but, you know, if that's what you have and that's what you have to work with. Yeah. Yeah, I think budget-wise, I ended up spending like 100 or $200 per shot on the Spirit Machine, which is a ridiculously low amount of money. Yeah, that's something that, you know, I, I hope that Alpha Studios kind of stand up in the crowd as well, is that, you know, we will always have our love for indies. And we will never... Because, you know, how we kind of everyone who worked here, how we all discover film, you know, we all had a different entry points. A lot of those, those entry points, you know, they may be blockbusters, they may be indies, but it doesn't mean that just because, you know, you can't meet a certain number that these stories, you know, aren't, mm -hmm. you know, aren't good enough to be told in a way. But what, what should people's expectations be though? If like, if you don't have a lot of money, like, should you, like, is there like a, some sort of film that you can say, you know, lower your expectations to this level. Like, don't think of Marvel, think of this. Yeah, so, you know, for a lot of people coming to me, you know, their, you know, their kind of first, you know, few examples would be, you know, like Pixar quality. Of course, <laughs> right? yeah. Yeah, and that, That's what you know, we all want. yeah, Pixar, you know, they've, I mean, you know, they they got the system down their stories look amazing i cried during most pixar movies right like that you know that's a, a whole formula on its own but they have a massive amount of people you know working for them and there are people that they have where their jobs is you know literally to make the software better right to rewrite right. all these you know kind of shading softwares and whatnot and that's something that you know as an indie you know filmmaker you you, you, you know you probably won't have access you know to kind of luxuries like that but however that doesn't mean that you can't have visual effects in your scene right mm -hmm. um so for um if you want to look at miss 2059 um okay there yeah, you go they you know they had a lot of you know kind of 2d additions and whatnot for their you know spacecraft because you know this um the story kind of all takes place in outer space and they did a lot of you know very simple tricks and techniques to kind of make it feel like yeah you're you're in space right so it's not it's it's a matter of thinking smartly but um yeah, but I would say, um, you know, don't entirely, you know, if you have a style in mind, 
be prepared to back up why you want that style. Do you want it to be photorealistic? Do you want to have a hand-drawn feel? Why is this story important to you? You know, does your movie call for it? You know, all the other, um, all the other stuff. And what do you say to somebody's like, because it's cool? <laughs> well, is that a you good know, reason? Um, it it is cool, right? But a lot of times, you know, they kind of don't fit you know, fit into your film in a way where, you know, for if you're kind of shooting, you know, like a low budget, like infomercial or something, if your if your camera or if your lighting doesn't quite match, but then you have all these cool motion graphics, you know, they, they, they kind of feel a little bit out of place, right? So it's all about kind of like the marriage of everything, you know, that it's, it's a marriage of all the arts, basically, that can make your film. Mm, but I would say, um, I was actually thinking about this, but... Um, during my uh, uh, growing up, one of my favorite indie films was Garden State. Oh yeah, and it's it's probably the film that I watch most often. <laughs> um, it was kind of like a blanket to me at one point, where I'm sure, like, if you pause <laughs> on a frame in the scene, I can tell you, you know, a what time code that probably came from. But I love that film, you know, and um, yeah, I, I I love the story that Zach Braff told, and it connected, you know, and it connected with me for so long, but. And in Garden State, they kind of have this one, you know, um, like money shot moment where they're kind of in an abyss, right? They're kind of right. in this endless abyss. And I think where you they're know, screaming into it. Yeah, they're screaming into yeah. it. You know, they're kind of lost in life, uh, right? Which is kind of what I was going through when I, you know, I fell in love with the movie and all that. But, you know, for, for their visual effects moment, it worked really well because, you know, like, when you see it in film, you know, like you have to think, oh, this is this is a planned shot from beginning. You know, they have to work with the actors and the stunts and, you know, the, the location manager and the VFX team to all kind of make this happen. And it's not a huge VFX, you know, in the shot, but it it was necessary for the story. Right. And they, it's from what I remember in that movie, there wasn't a lot of visual effects, like post visual effects. That was one of them, though. So they chose their moments. Yeah, they chose their moment and, yeah. you know, and it, it, it worked for them. So I have one last question on my sheet, which is what's something filmmakers aren't doing that you wish that they would? Um, I would say that they're not researching enough um, before they approach um, people working in visual effects. Right. Um, maybe, you know, they haven't, you know, maybe they've seen, you know, VFX breakdowns and whatnot over the years of their favorite films and whatnot. But um, what I like to do, you know, before I work with anyone is I kind of like to do a little bit of research on them. Right. Um, I did a little bit of research on Timothy before we worked together just to kind of get an idea of uh -huh. the worlds that you came from. It's like, oh, you came from commercials. Oh, I know what that's about. Right. So I think it's equally important before you work with any kind of new crew you know that's going to be joining your film you know to kind of get like you know to kind of get some other backstory of you know of of what they do of you know what kind of the work they do and then inevitably that will lead you into learning more about visual effects which will help you communicate with everyone you know that's involved cool. nice um what is your favorite type of visual effect shot to do hmm she already said robots. 
Okay, yeah, all right, well, I mean, that's that's a little bit of a broad term. I mean, like, it's a really good, like, I don't know, I mean, I don't, however you want to answer that question, if you want to get really specific in the type of shot, or if it's just an element like a robot, whatever, but yeah, I'm just curious, like, what's like your favorite thing to work I on? I remember there's this guy in San Francisco that really loved motion tracking. Like that's yeah, all he did, and he had like an email that had something about like motion tracking. It's like you give him a motion tracking shot, and he would just like, "Yes, I'm so excited to motion track this shot." Which to me is just like, "What?" That just seems so boring. But I guess you know, for different people, like yeah, the process for different is people, a turn on. that's their jam. Um, for me, I would say it's the second right after IKEA green screen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> that wow. is still like my favorite moment in, in visual effects because you know it kind of just you know signals like oh this could be anywhere this could be anything <laughs> oh, it could become anything you want it to be uh, that's <laughs> it's exciting. like a blank piece of paper it's a blank piece of paper yeah wow cool. i love that good answer awesome Wow. So I don't know. Anything else you guys want to talk about? Any other things that we missed? Anything that you want to say about visual effects, Caitlin, that you didn't say? No, we covered a good range of it. Well, cool. Thanks, Caitlin, for coming on and sharing yeah. all this stuff. Like, this was fun. Totally. I mean, I already knew that I was going to try to approach my uh, visual effects team this way, like bring them on early, show them everything, get get on the same page. But yeah, I mean, it's great to be reinforced to, to really that that's the only way to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, because I think some people just think like, oh yeah, we'll just, we'll figure it out later. We'll figure it out later. And, yeah, right. you know, I think people are getting over that though. I think that's becoming a thing of the past. I think Good, people are starting yeah. to get more educated and, you know, cause it's such a joke now. Like we'll fix it in post. Like that's such a, it's like a, it's like the most annoying joke in a way sometimes. Yeah. Um, so I feel like people are starting to get aware that that's, that's not something you can actually do. Yeah, exactly. So, so Caitlin, where can we find you? Where's where are you on? You know, website, Twitter, Facebook, email, all that stuff. Yeah, you can find me on social media. Um, my handle is my name, Caitlin Young. Nice. And then, what's the website for Alpha Studios? Yeah, you can find us at alphastudios.com, and we are Alpha Studios on all the social medias as well. Sweet. Well, if you guys want any help with your next project, reach out to Alpha Studios. See if they're the right fit for you guys. Um, you know, I imagine that. Uh, we have listeners of all different budget levels and varieties. So yeah, I don't know. We'll be curious to know if anyone reaches out. Um, I'm personally going to reach out with my movie, right. but yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that works out. Um, but yeah, Caitlin, thanks so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, one last thing. Um, when I first uh, looked up Caitlin's IMDb, I saw that she did a shot or she worked on an episode of one of my favorite shows, Comedy Bang Bang. Oh. And uh, yeah, it was such a, a fun episode and such a crazy shot. And so I don't know. I mean, do you have any stories about working on that really briefly? Or um, Yeah, so it was a Christmas special and we worked with um, some of my coworkers from Robot Chicken to kind of create this, you know, nightmare, like the, the, the night before Christmas with the elves making the toys and all that and yeah that was a fun project to work on and you know we did it around the holidays so it was a good memory nice um i know that i probably should have asked this question earlier but now i'm just curious like for the robot chicken style stuff 
Um, is that actual stop motion that you guys change or is that completely built in visual effects? Like how does that stuff work? Yeah. For robot chicken, it's all stop motion. It's, you know, the OG animation in a way. Um, they kind of build everything practically. They are, you know, everything's very tactile. They're puppets. They're, you know, three or four, you know, versions of a puppet, you know, or whatnot. And for a lot of our work, it was, you know, kind of removing a lot of the, the wires and the stands that kind of held the puppet in place and then just you know adding you know virtual effects like you would do anything else wow that's awesome well that was a little at end of the show shout out but uh yeah that's awesome i just i love that old school stop motion animation and then like sometimes i see it especially with robot chicken i wonder like how much of it is actually stop motion how much is it is it really just visual effects so it's good to hear that it's actually still just stop motion the old school way. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I would recommend the film um, Kubo and the Two Strings if you haven't seen it. It's an amazing stop motion, you know, animation feature. And yeah, it's, it's probably one of my favorite films, you know, to date. Nice. Awesome. All right. Back to the outro. So thanks everybody for listening. Um, you can check out our website at makingmoviesishard.com where you can find the links to the things we talked about on this episode. Uh, we'll include a lot of Caitlin's work, um, you know, that she's done in the past and current things that she's working on. Um, if you want to get in contact with us, you can send us an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. You know, you can ask us a question, something that you want to talk, us to talk about on the show, something that you don't want us to talk about on the show, whatever you want. Um, you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at MMIH Podcast. And please, if you like the show, tell a friend, help us uh, get the word out. You can also leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Those are great. And thank you so much, Caitlin, again, for being on the show. And thanks, Timothy, as always. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, have a great week, guys. Bye-bye.